Hello, my friends. How you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and welcome to another edition on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. In this episode, I get to speak with the amazing Susie Boss um, and talk about her work with her latest books on project-based learning, the revision of another one of her books, and just all the amazing insights that she can provide us as she's done for so many years. This podcast is going to sound a little bit different because for some reason I had an audio glitch. The beauty and the best part is her voice was recorded. The downside was my voice was somehow lost in translation. So if this seems uh, like it doesn't flow in pure conversation, um, that would be why. So what I've done is I have um, recorded in a question that I posed to her, but the conversation flow itself obviously isn't going to be there because I'm not going to reenact everything that I said or what I thought I said. So you will hear it almost more of a uh, Q&A format for this one. I pose a question and it'll be her outstanding response. Guys, there's so many great things in here, links to the show notes and her books and all her work. If you have not used her work, you need to, and probably most likely you've realized that you have once you know this podcast. All right, guys, enjoy this episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast with Susie Boss. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. So Susie, could you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Because you do so many amazing things um, that it's really, really important that people get a sense of all the work that you do. Sure. So I've done worn different hats over the years. I'm based in Portland, Oregon, and I consider myself primarily an advocate for project-based learning. I'm a writer. I do professional development with schools um, all around the world, uh, but I've kind of been on this PBL bandwagon uh, for the last couple of decades. Going way back, I was in the classroom once upon a time myself uh, as a journalism teacher and taught in a project-based style because that's what made sense for student publishing. Um, and then later in my career, worked in a research uh, laboratory setting, looking at you know, the pioneers who was really uh, implementing best practices and fresh ideas and taking advantage of emerging technologies. That brought me to PBL a little more deeply um, from a more theoretical perspective, I guess. Uh, and I've yeah, really been focusing on kind of finding out who are those pioneers, telling stories of effective teachers in different contexts and my books and blogging for Edutopia and uh, other work that I've done. Um, and then helping other teachers learn from those, you know, great uh, practitioners uh, how to do it themselves. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I'm up to. So Susie, you have a new book out that just came out called Project-Based Teaching, and I know you just revised another one of your former books, but can you talk a little bit about why you felt the need to come out with another book on project-based learning? I love it. It's so good. It's so helpful to hear so many stories and examples of teachers 
in the classroom actually doing this work as opposed to just a book on theory. But but why why another book on this and why a focus on teachers? Yeah, I you know big believer in the power of stories. Um, you know I think you know more academic research is really important as well, and um, you know I kind of try to keep tabs on that. But my focus is really those great stories that paint that picture. You know we're we're asking teachers um, to do something hard if project-based learning is new to them because chances are they didn't get to do um, today's version of PBL when they were students. Chances are they didn't get um, practical tips when they were learning to become teachers. And chances are they haven't taught this way if it's new to them. So you know, th th it's really hard to think about how do I transform into something that I haven't seen or, or gotten help with before. So I think the power of story uh, is really important. So this book is really focused on the teaching practices, and I guess something that I that I want to dig in a little bit deeper is what makes this book different from all the other PBL books that are out there? Because there's lots. Um, you have written many of them yourself, and so um, someone that's looking at this book or listening to this podcast, um, what what is it about this book that that should make them want to check it out and and read and dive into it a little bit more? Sure. Sure, I appreciate it. I think this is number 10 for me, so <laughs> I've been busy. Um, uh, it's interesting. So this book uh, I researched and wrote in collaboration with an organization I've been affiliated with for a long time. You may know it as the Buck Institute for Education, but it just went through a rebranding, a new name and a new look. If you go to their website, it's now called PBL Works. Um, so this organization is a, a nonprofit that's really focused on project-based learning as a way, you know, really as one of those levers that can change teaching and learning um, all around the world. So I think of it as kind of a mothership for great strategies and research and uh, resources for teachers. And um, I've, I've been part of their national faculty um, since they've had a national faculty, so I'm kind of one of the old timers in that group. Um, but, you know, we've done a lot of uh foundational work in, in kind of helping teachers understand what's most important about project-based learning. If you're going to design a project that really leads to those deep, rich student experiences, what do you need to know as a teacher? What do you need to anticipate and plan for? And um, how can we um, take some of the mystery out of that? And so we've done a lot of work in the past. In fact, I wrote another book with the same uh, uh, group, couple years ago called setting the standard for project-based learning where we looked at that gold standard framework you know what do you look for as you design a project and as um, that was helpful for a lot of teachers we got great feedback but uh, many teachers continued asking okay I, I get that the gist of the question was sort of I get that project-based learning shifts the dynamics so that it's more student-driven learning Students are asking more of the questions. They're making more decisions. Um, They're deciding how to provide evidence of what they've learned. That's all great. But what do I do as a teacher? What's my role if my students are more in charge of their own learning? And so we really wanted to give teachers uh, very, again, paint that picture, give them a really close look at what are those practices that aren't unique to PBL. Um, they're gonna, as we talk about these in more detail, they're going to sound familiar to teachers because they're about good teaching. But I think with the, the difference in project-based learning is these project-based teaching strategies, when you think of them in the context of PBL, they really make a difference. And we, we got pretty granular. I mean, I interviewed tons of teachers. There are some accompanying videos that take you right into the classrooms of the teachers that you're reading about. And then some additional videos uh, that where we just talk um, 
more specifically about these seven project-based teaching strategies and what they are and what they look like and how you get better at them. So something that I absolutely loved when I read your book, because I feel that it's a missing ingredient in so many books and information about project-based learning is the idea of building the culture. And in particular, I think like the the intentional design of learning space that goes along with that. And I think a lot of people overlook that or they skip it because it's it's murky water, right? It's not black and white um, in terms of here's this this template, right. here's this this rubric, go ahead and, and right. do it. So um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I know that there's books specifically designed to learning space or the culture, but not infused with the PBL process. And so let's dive into that because if we don't capture and develop the, the culture and the, and the relationship in the learning space, none of this other stuff matters. So, so why start with that in your book? And, and let, let's spend some time diving into that. And, you know, this is actually the first chapter in the book. Uh, uh, and that's no accident. And, the reason I kicked off with this look at building the culture, which is the practice, that's how we define it in uh, project-based teaching, um, it, it came up in all these interviews over and over and over again, how the, the relationship between teacher and student is really key. The relationship among students, peer-to-peer, is really key. Um, and that relationship piece, um, how you get along, how you um, work together, um, those are parts of that invisible curriculum. You know, do you walk in every day and feel like you're there for a shared purpose? Um, and you feel like, you know, we have, we're about something important. It, you know, that's culture. Um, do you feel like, uh, you know, we really want to use our time together well because we're doing something that's going to matter to someone else. And, you know, that should be the, the goal of any good project. But if, again, that's really hard to... Um, you know, to tell teachers to go do that if they don't really have a good sense of what PBL is all about and how it does put students on that motivational uh, track to want to do something important, to do, you know, beautiful work or work that matters or ways that other PBL practitioners uh, have talked about project-based learning. So, you know, in, in any teaching and learning context, culture is really important. This is not in any way unique to project-based learning. But in PBL, in that you know, approach to teaching and learning, the kind of culture you create, um, the way you um, get to know your students, the way your classroom and the projects you do reflect who they are um, and show that you know, you recognize them, you see them for who they are, you recognize, um, you know, what matters to them and the cultures they come from and their home families and all those things get woven into a really effective uh, environment. Uh, that sets the stage for all the other great stuff. And and I think the other key thing about culture is it doesn't happen just once. You don't do an activity at the start of the year and feel like, okay, I've checked that box. We've built culture. <laughs> now let's go be successful. It is ongoing work. And, you know, again, I heard this over and over again uh, from teachers who were just exceptional at PBL. They keep coming back. So talk to me a little bit more about this idea of the culture, the learning space. Um, how do we how do we assess ourselves on that? Because I think there's so many of us that either think we don't have a good culture and we really do, or on the flip side, we're just not quite sure um, 
if we're doing it right. And so what are some tips or strategies or techniques that we can use to evaluate ourselves, like ourselves personally? Because I know that um, even though there's so many great resources with instructional coaches and schools got lots of frameworks, when people come in, sometimes it does feel judgmental and evaluative, even though that's not the, the intention, at least yeah. in most places. Um, and so how does a teacher go about just trying to learn about themselves and how to make their culture um, and their learning space and all that just yeah. a little bit better? Sure. And that I think, you know, you're um, getting at something important there is that all of these practices are things we can all get better at. That, you know, asking those questions about how is the culture? How do I find out is like step one and your own goal setting as a professional, um, even being open to the question. So a couple of things that, that I suggest in the book, um, and sometimes these come up, um, great ideas from instructional coaches or, you know, teachers who are working with their colleagues on PBL. If you're wondering if you've really got um, kind of a uh, student-centered classroom, just do a, a little bit of um, data gathering about what does conversation look like. So either you could run a tape recorder or set up a video camera, or if you have an instructional coach or a buddy who could come in and just record for an hour, um, Who's asking the questions? What kind of questions are they? Um, is all the flow going through the teacher or are there, you know, is it more of a, uh, a you know, a nice big web of discussion uh, or does everything have to get mediated back to the teacher then back out to a student? So that kind of simple data gathering about discussions, um, it's really revealing. You know, we've had teachers who will say, boy, I really thought I was having a lot of student-led discussions. And then, you know, we did this and boy, was this surprising. So then you get to think about, okay, what could we do differently? Um, what could we shift? What sorts of maybe protocols might I introduce or tools might, might I, you know, want to use? Um, the same thing goes with um, kind of what's in the... Uh, what's in that physical environment of the classroom that's a clue culture? What's on the walls? Is it all um, uh, stuff that the teacher has selected and that is maybe inspirational and beautiful, but doesn't reflect the student's um, work or perhaps their identities? Um, so you could do that sort of audit of the classroom environment. We talk about um, one protocol uh, that an instructional coach calls a ghost walk, where you walk with a teacher through a classroom when the kids are not there. And what do you see that's evidence of a really strong culture? What's on the walls? How are the seats arranged? Um, and again, you're just prompting with questions. Uh, so if you're in the role of the coach or the, the peer who's trying to help you know, a teacher get a better understanding of culture, you, know, you would ask those sorts of questions of, you know, tell me about this or why is that on the wall? Or, you know, do you see some of the things you'd want to see would be, um, you know, questions posed in students' own handwriting. If you've got um, chart pack or, you know, whiteboards, is it, who owns those spaces? You know, can the students themselves use those tools uh, to drive their own inquiry? Um, are there different, um, um, whether you're a elementary or secondary, are there different kinds of almost like learning stations in the classroom where kids can work in different ways at different times based on their needs, uh, the needs of their small team maybe, um, are there norms on the walls or is it very much more about rules that the teacher has issued in terms of, you know, do this, don't do that sort of thing. Rules are one thing, norms are another. They're very much in the student voice in there about how do we you know, act together? How do we think together? So those are some of the things I'd look for um, 
And again, it's not that there's a, a gotcha uh, answer to any of that or a right or wrong. It's that these are opportunities to think about, okay, where am I now? Let's just look at the information that's here. Where do I want to go? What would it look like if we did shift this culture a little bit? How might we start that? So I think I asked this question almost every single time I, I get to talk with amazing people such as yourself. You get to travel the world. You're all over. You're leading PD. You're talking to hundreds of thousands of teachers. You get to see all types of schools. And I know so many people are listening in going, I want to do project-based learning. I want to do these things that Susie is talking about. I've read her work. I've read her articles and her books. But I feel like my hands are tied. I feel like I work in a school that does not allow project-based learning to truly happen. And so whether those those hindrances, those those setbacks, those barriers are deliberate and actually like built into the PD and from the voices of the admin, or it is these invisible rules that we come to sometimes believe exist when they really don't, how in the world does a classroom teacher do this work? We work in a day and age so many teachers are stressed and overworked and, and they, they want to create this engagement, but they don't have the support. They have admin that don't want this. They want their kids doing the same thing at the same time. And, and you hear conversation now about pacing guides and make sure each teacher is teaching the same thing at the same time. So how in the world does, does one do this work? And I think that's such a hard question um, that so many teachers are facing because they're dealing with so much. They see the value in it, and yet they just don't feel they're allowed or have the permission to do it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the key questions is, you know, is that um, a prohibition that you're kind of um, um, assuming, or is there really something structural there um, that's preventing you? Um, you know, some, some districts have gone to, you know, pacing guides where they want everybody on the same page and kind of assuming that everybody learns at the same rate. That Those sorts of um, decisions uh, usually made by someone outside the classroom, uh, make it very hard, I admit, to do PBL. But if you're in a context where you're driven by standards, which, you know, find me a <laughs> teacher who isn't accountable to some sort of where you call, whether you're calling them standards or learning outcomes or um, whatever they are, you know, projects need to be about something. They need to be about something important and something that's connected to um, your content and your curriculum. And so, one of my suggestions to teachers is to think of a unit, um, I've done this kind of work with teachers a lot, think of a unit that you've taught a lot in the past. So you know the content inside and out. You also know how kids respond to it. Maybe this is a unit that's kind of flat in terms of engagement. And it's a unit that others in the building, maybe in your grade level, your content area, they also teach. Maybe you're in a, uh, a school or a system where, you know, we're all kind of doing the same units in the same uh, subject areas or grade level. So there's some collaboration opportunity there. If you're all teaching the same unit around the same time of the year, start there and think about, okay, we're still going to address the same content goals, but we're not gonna do it the way we've done it before. We're gonna try this, um, do some action research ourselves um, and see what happens if we turn this into a project. Um, what's missing from the unit? And if you think about some of those kind of essential design elements, um, often one of the missing pieces is some sort of um, audience or some sort of public evidence of what students have learned. What would happen if you introduced an audience, um, if students knew that the work they were producing or 
um, creating or the problem they were solving was going to be experienced or heard or, you know, um, presented to somebody outside the classroom. For some teachers, that's a starting point um, to bring in one element that's not there in a unit. And then that, you know, working backwards from that audience, if you're thinking of presenting excellent work to an audience at the end of a project, you got to think about, well, who's going to be interested in what we're doing? And have we kind of crafted this experience in a way that there really is a need for it? So instead of just diving into a unit on whatever, um, you're thinking about how are we approaching this content area um, in a way that involves inquiry, that involves either uh, solving a problem or addressing a question that's going to matter to somebody. Now you've got the setup um, for a project. Whether you're going through all of the possibilities that you can do with PBL or not, at least you've got kind of a start and, and end line there that are more of a project than just a unit. Just a, you want a quick example of what that might look like? I was just working with a, um, it was a fourth grade team and they had taught a unit in the past that had to do with global trade. And we looked at, you know, asked them to share with me the unit plans they'd done before. And it was just, a, um, it's like an extended menu. They had resource after resource after resource that had to do with um, trade, supply and demand, you know, economic um, basics. It was all over the place, literally all over the place in terms of, um, you know, there was resources galore, but there was no particular rhyme or reason. Why would we want to explore these? What's the through line? Um, if you were a student going through a series of experiences with these resources, would each one be feel um, disconnected from the next? Or could you see some connection? You know, helping kids make connections is a big part of PBL. So we thought about, okay, how could we do it differently? And, um, you know, shared some examples with them. And now they're in the middle of a project where they're interpreting global trade uh, for their own community, looking at one product that their community is really known for. And why are they known for that? And where does it go in the world? And how could they tell the story of how their community is connected to this product, um, you know, culturally, um, through different industries? What's the um, outreach? Where does it go in the world? So they're storytellers now. Uh, and they have a storyline kind of tracking, um, you know, really getting into global trade, but through one focused product that they know and understand and kind of can touch and feel. So it gives a lot more focus to what they're doing. And it creates this audience because everybody connected to this product now can point to the storytelling um, that kids are doing to help everybody all along the supply chain understand it. You know, here's the value of this product for our region and here's why it matters. If you don't believe me, listen to these, um, this, you know, take a look at this digital story or, you know, listen to these kids explain it because um, they really get it. So that's, a, I think, one simple example. So let's dive into that topic of a through line a little bit more, because I think you hit upon something that many educators face. We, we have this idea of the topic that we want to explore. We're able to find so many resources because we're really good at doing that. But I think sometimes there's a disconnect with that idea that you just mentioned about the through line. So can you talk more about that? Like, how did you get them to take all their ideas and develop a through line so it makes sense? Because I think that right there is the, the piece that all of us can get better at, whether we are instructional coaches, whether we're classroom teachers, whether we're admin, no matter our role. How do we actually develop a through line so from start to finish, the flow of a project actually makes sense? 
it's like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall. You know, we're going to take all these great resources about economics and trade and blah, 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 and something there is going to stick. Well, <laughs> what sticks is when we really understand something, you know, and a framework of a story, you know, helps us understand things. I think what I, the question I asked them that, um, I guess two things. So I shared with them, um, sometimes I use examples that aren't from the classroom just to give them, okay, let's, Let's start fresh. Let's not think about global trade as you've taught it 100 times before. Let's just think about how do other people explore this. And I shared with them a really great video. Um, what is the name of it? it, it it's from um, a podcast uh, around economics. I forget the name of the podcast right now, but, but it tracked the uh, making of a T-shirt from cotton fields all the way through to final um, sales on the shelves to, to consumers and following the t-shirt from, you know, where the cotton is grown to where it's turned into thread and, you know, all the way along the line took these, uh, radio producers, um, marketplace, maybe I forget anyways, what show it's an NPR show and it project money. There we go. Or planet money, planet money. There we go. Sorry. I knew it was on the tip of my tongue. And, um, it, you know, I'd heard this uh, story told and actually had met the Planet Money producer. So it was one I was a little bit of a you know, story I knew a little bit about. But they were doing the same kind of thing. They were exploring global trade and connections with particular focus. And their focus happened to be the simple T-shirt. And they were commissioning, you know, a T-shirt to be sold. And that took them all over the world to see it made in different places. So I, I shared that example. And um the teacher's first first idea was, oh, that's one more thing we can throw into our bag of resources. No, no, no. Let's think about what might be a product that your kids know really well and could um, explore and kind of curate the story behind some product that your region's known for. And that's what really opened things up. And they kind of found their way to um, particular flower that... Um, you know, grown there, touches the lives of all kinds of different people and is exported and used for perfume making. And, you know, that was all that it took was to get them to connect an idea to some sort of a focus that kids could uh, literally touch with their hands, you know, to make it. You think a good quality of project based learning is that even if the topic becomes very global or becomes perhaps abstract in some way, the, the way into it needs to be accessible to kids. They need to be able to literally get their hands around this idea to get started with. So can you find a way to, to make a big idea more accessible for kids to at least start exploring it? And I think that was the uh, conversation spark there and the project's ongoing. So I'll have to report back and let you know. How. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But those kinds of transformations I think can happen with, you know, many different uh, units just by asking yourself, okay, Who's going to care about this? And if you ask who's going to care, it's going to make you think about why would students care about this? And what's going to engage them? Why will it matter to them? Um, so as you've continued to do this work in project-based learning, you've been in this uh, field for quite some time, which is awesome. And you get a chance to see and work with teachers and schools from all over. I guess one of the things that I always come back to is a great quote from Kevin Eastman. Um, uh, a former coach for the Boston Celtics, actually. And he has this kind of um, saying where he talks about how do we take the old school plus the new school to create one school. And so as, as you've kind of been able to travel and work with so many, what have you seen in project-based learning that has stayed constant, the, the, the key elements that 
haven't changed over the course of time? And and also, what are some new things that you're seeing emerge? Because as we know, the world and society education is is shifting and changing and adapting. And so what are some, some new elements that you've also seen that, that, that are exciting for those that have been doing this work or trying to do this work um, to maybe start to see um, how to go ahead and get started or how to strengthen the work that they're already doing? Yeah, I know. I feel I feel so lucky to have gotten to see so many different contexts. Um, so a couple of things, I guess, when I started kind of looking for those pioneers, those practitioners, you know, going back now a good number of years, um, many of them were pretty isolated. They were often um, the oddball in the cl- in the building. You know, I'm the one who does those crazy projects, or they were maybe well known for the you know being the innovator. Oh, that teacher does stuff you won't even believe. You know what she's up to. Um, So they were kind of the bold risk takers. Now I think we see a lot more schools where everybody's got access to project-based learning as a strategy. It's not so much for some exceptional, pioneering, bold, brave soul who wants to rock the boat. It's really a strategy that everybody can get their hands around, can get comfortable with. And a lot more strategic support. So many, many um, schools are implementing project-based learning, um, maybe not in all classes at all times, or what we might think of as a wall-to-wall setting, but enough so that over time, as kids progress through their education, they're getting repeat opportunities. It wasn't just that they had this awesome teacher in fourth grade who did this cool project, they're gonna remember forever. No, they're getting those kind of potentially transformative experiences all along. So I think that's one big change, is that more widespread kind of uh, system-wide adoption of PBL um, some schools struggle with how do we get off the, you know, how do we get going? And, um, you know, there are a lot of resources to, to support that work and to help um, help them do that well. I think that's one big change. Of course, the technology tools um, have changed a lot. You know, uh, I mean, there, there have always been great examples of projects that resulted in students creating um, a film or a video. But the ability to make and edit a video quickly and do it well with minimal tools, boy, that puts digital storytelling in everybody's hands. And that wasn't necessarily the case, you know, a decade and a half um, ago, you know, you had to have cameras and editing and you know, a lot of support. Um, I think another trend um, I'm excited about is just seeing more global collaboration. Uh, so, you know, the, the example I talked about around global trade, well, imagine if schools all over the world were looking at a particular product that their community was known for and teachers could collaborate and kids could be audiences of each other. That that kind of thing happens all the time now, um, that sort of classroom to classroom collaboration. It's as simple as getting on Skype or a Google Hangout together and um, sharing experiences, being audiences or critiquers for each other's work. Um, and that opens the door for teacher-to-teacher collaboration in different contexts as well. I think all of those sorts of things have gotten just a lot easier to manage, um, easier to make happen. You know, make make them happen. The tools for connecting are more robust, um, and having common language around project-based learning, some kind of foundational. Here's what we mean by PBL. Here's what we mean in another place. Oh, we're talking about the same thing. We're sharing some common goals. Let's see what might happen if our kids work together on you know, on issues. So I want to get back to the book. I know we've, we've kind of dovetailed off and talked to just about many amazing things that you've got going on around the idea of project-based learning, but in your book, 
the newest one, Project Based Teaching. What are some other things that you want people to know about the book? There's, it's such a great resource. There's so many links and guides and rubrics and, and tools for us to use. But um, I want to make sure we, we, we come full circle and come back to the book. So could you share a little bit about what is it that you want people to know about this book? Um, so they go and check it out because it really is such a great resource for any educator uh, to have as they're trying to figure out how in the world do I teach Project based learning. Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, some of the teachers who are featured in the book pretty prominently are also featured in some companion videos. And you can find those at the pblworks.org website. If you search for the videos there, you can see these teachers in action, see a project from, you know, entry to final culminating event um, uh, and reflections all along the way. You can see those in action at different grade levels. Um, there are, uh, you know, example rubrics and planning tools and all of those sorts of things. The other place I do a lot of storytelling about PBL is at Edutopia. Um, and so you can look for me there. I blog there regularly and do some other um, projects as well that tend to focus on project-based learning uh, because that's kind of where my heart is. Um, and then, you know, if folks are going to um, conferences this spring or summer, I'll be at... Um, Actually, I'll be at ASCD just next weekend, I think. That will be over by the time your show um, is out, I think. Um, but I'll be at ISTE this summer. I have several sessions there. One of them I'm excited about is a teacher panel where some of the teachers uh, that I've interviewed and shared stories about are going to join me, and we'll talk about the transformations they made and what helped them with their journey. I think that's, um, you know, those are important things to hear about. Susie, I want to thank you for your time. This truly has been an honor. You are someone who I've used your work with um, for so many years and to actually be able to have the chance to speak with you in person and not just read your work, but talk about your work has truly been a, a, a wonderful experience. And I know not just me, but I know on the behalf of so many educators who you have impacted and influenced our work around project-based learning and just good solid teaching practices. I want to make sure we take the time to thank you um, and for taking some time out of your crazy busy schedule to uh, speak with me. I hope this inspires people to check out your work, um, your latest book, the revision of your other work. We'll put all those links in the show notes. And uh, as always, continue the good fight, continue to spread the message because it's needed now more than ever before. Very nice of you to invite me and, you know, I really appreciate your comments and, you know, the the goal for me is to reach teachers who are looking for these kinds of resources and inspiration. And, you know, the more we can do that in different formats and venues and podcasts and conferences and whatever it may be, whatever the spark is that's going to help them get going on this journey, I think um, I'm all for it. So I appreciate your time, too.